Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 245th episode of the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So good to have you today. It is the last Tuesday of the month, June 28th, 2022. And we are at 352,000 show listens. And I am just so thankful and proud of that. The exact number actually is 352,059. And it just, oh, just the fact that it's still going strong, where we'll be at five years in November. And uh, I've never missed a Tuesday since November 1st, 2016. So how as exciting is that? Actually, 2017, I went back too far. But uh, I'm just so excited about it. So thank you again, listeners and everyone who has passed this along and continues to show us support and let us know how we're doing. So we, we really appreciate that. And again, just a reminder of whatever platform you listen on, please drop us a rating and a review. And uh, we appreciate that. So um, it gives us standing with, you know, Apple podcasts and Amazon podcasts and wherever you listen. So I just found myself on a playlist the other day uh, with Spotify. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, when somebody told me, they said, hey, you just made a, a playlist. I'm like, hmm, okay, for coding and billing. I, I love I love the community because <laughs> nobody would ever think that anybody would be on a playlist for that. But we're excited. Okay, so what is our topic this week? What do we want to chat about? Well, one of the things I noticed as we have been nonstop talking about the No Surprises Act and patient out-of-pocket and things like that is there seems to be a little bit of, um, I don't want to say laxadaisiness or just really um, a forgetfulness to get back to what we do when it comes to patient eligibility and verifying their benefits. And remember, healthcare practices, we have to verify the patient's coverage for any medical services that they are, you know, searching out and really determine their responsibility for payments. Um, when you're dealing with the eligibility and, and benefit verification process, that's how you confirm the coverage offered by the health plan, whether it be employee-sponsored or they purchased it on their own independently. It tells you about co-pays, deductibles, uh, co-insurance with the health plan, if diagnostics are covered a different way versus surgery versus office visits, hospital care. Uh, even I'm now seeing some uh, plans are starting to cover group visits. I think I heard on a, a webcast the other day that one of the Medicare Advantage plans actually covers uh, dog walking. I mean, that is absolutely bananas, but okay. So we want to talk about uh, verification of eligibility and make sure that we can really keep our cash flows up because now patients are kind of getting savvy to what they have to pay when it is either in or out of network. And we just want to make sure that you're going back and giving your staff the tools and checklists so that they are covering everything when they look at the patient's responsibility and they do their verifications. And also that they're ready to have either the conversation or put the information to check electronically. Sometimes I'll notice that for certain companies that you still have to call, 
the uh, the biller, the coder, the person that's verifying the front office, whoever is doing your verification, they don't have everything in front of them at the time. And so sometimes it's not done to um, the, the, the detail it needs to be. So first, let's look at the information that needs to be provided for patient eligibility and benefits verification. So information that the insurance, the insurance company uh, needs to have before you even have a conversation. So subscriber name, patient name, that may be different. So, I mean, perfect example for me, since I work for myself, I'm on my husband's insurance. So you have to have that differentiation there. Patient's relationship with the subscriber, patient date of birth, patient gender, patient member number, group number and name, plan type, and then the coverage date or the policy effective date. That's going to be important. And then what are you looking for as far as verification elements? You're looking to see deductibles, co-pays, Coinsurances, which are different, copays are usually per encounter. So when the patient comes in for an office visit, coinsurances, that's basically a percentage of what they pay um, based on what you bill, what the write off amount is for in network physicians, and then their share of cost. Then payable benefits, some things may or may not be covered, uh, patient policy status, um, basically, if they pay their premiums. Effective date, type of plan and coverage details. Uh, are there plan exclusions based on what the patient is coming in and trying to get services for? Uh, claims mailing address. Don't always send it to the verification address. Those are different. Uh, referral and pre-authorizations. What are they requiring for certain things? And then is there a limitation? Are there frequency guidelines? Are there lifetime maximum limitations? Are there limitations on how many visits? So if you're a physical therapy practice, some um, payers, what they have, they're supposed to provide it, but they don't have, that doesn't say how much they have to provide. So they can provide 10 visits a year, 10 visits per condition, and so on. Um, if you are a practice that provides screening services, colonoscopies, mammograms, you know, the um, USA Task Force only says you have to provide, let's say, colonoscopies based on age once every 24 months. But there are plans who will offer it once every year or once every five years. It just depends. So you really have to train your staff and give them the tools on how to be efficient in the verification process because efficiency in this process can reduce your likelihood of denials and hopefully keep your uh, cash flow and that uh, going without having to worry about it. So most payers have made available interfaces to check eligibility online and by verifying eligibility electronically before the patient schedule the appointment you will be able to get a little bit more accurate information about the patient's insurance status and understanding the benefits of the health plan. Determine if that patient needs to bring a copay with them at the time of service. You know, a lot of times patients know, but they wait for you to tell them. It's kind of like, you know, they're not going to say, here's money, just let me know, you know, what I should write it out for. They're going to say, well, how much do I have to pay? Update insurance details. Get patients to update primary care physician details, especially if you're a specialty office, you may need a referral based on that plan. And again, it's sometimes it is necessary to call the insurance payer with questions related um, for prior authorization or clarify some eligibility and benefits elements because we have really terrible prior authorization issues right now and interoperability. And I'm hoping that's gonna be uh, fixed soon, but I'm not holding my breath. 
Also, what I would recommend as far as the process for verification and eligibility, make sure that you're checking this at least 48 hours before visit. So when the patient makes a visit, obviously not an emergent visit, but if they're making a visit to come in within the next you know, week or two, which is usually where most practices have you know, scheduled appointments available, um, you should really try to do this before the patient comes to the practice to check in. It can be done before treatment, it can be done before the encounter, and it really helps to reduce claim rejections and denials because some patients will think that they've got a Blue Cross payer that you're a part of their network and it may be a different Blue Cross payer. I know with United Healthcare, they'll put out an employer-sponsored plan but depending on what your role is with that employer. So if you're in the C-suite, so CEO, COO, et cetera, you may have a higher tier plan than somebody that is a cash um, employee, cash register employee, or uh, on the floor. I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, my sister has insurance that, or she used to with um, one of the, the major department stores out there. And it was interesting how um, different pay scales had different um, insurance options. And so if you were on the floor as a salesperson, your insurance obviously wasn't as good as somebody who was in the C-suite, which to me, that's almost counterintuitive because the less money you make, the better insurance you probably need. And the more money you make, you can afford to pay a bigger premium. But anyway, you just have to make sure you're checking that. Also, most electronic health records and revenue cycle management systems, you may actually have electronic eligibility um, checking within your system. So check on that first, make sure you ask your administrator, your billing manager, and then um, always verify the patient's insurance coverage. Try to do that prior to coming in. You know, 20 years ago, back in the day, whenever you made an appointment, most practices would say, okay, when you come in, please bring your, you know, copy of your driver's license, your medication bottles, if you have any, um, and then we're going to have come 15 minutes early so you can fill out the uh, review of systems form, and please bring your insurance card. We take a copy of the front and back. It was very manually done, but a lot of things now can be done electronically, and if you can do that, try to really um, focus on that if you can. It's just really, really helpful if you can do things um, electronically or at least prior to the patient coming in. So here is your checklist. This is where the top 10, because it's the last Tuesday of the month, and we do our top 10 Tuesday, Terry Tuesday. Here's your checklist for eligibility verification. And this is best practices. This is not legally what you have to do. This is just what I would do. And so make sure you're, you're kind of following this. A couple of you have told me lately that some of the information I'm giving you, go back and listen to it again so you can make uh, lists and, and kind of take some notes. That makes me happy. It means that not only are you finding these hopefully a little bit entertaining, but also um, informative. You know, I, I hate to say educational because I don't want this to be webinar. I want this to be informal conversations about things that can just, you know, really help you hopefully within not only your job, but in your practice and little tidbits that you can bring back to um, your own staff, your own employees, your fellow employees, uh, so that um, things can, can be done a little bit more efficiently. So what is our checklist? Okay, so first of all, check and see if the plan is active. That's a big one, that's number one. Uh, a lot of the exchanges that were part of the Affordable Care Act, um, they're not active right now. A lot of the plans actually shut down. So, and then they, some new plans came about. So make sure you're checking to see if the plan is active. I know some people don't even think about that. They just assume that all private insurance is employer sponsored, it isn't. 
Always inquire with the patient, this is number two, about any impending or recent insurance changes. So that has to be a conversation and hopefully that is something you say over the phone. Say so has, um, when they give you the information, say, has anybody changed jobs recently? Because if you're on a 90 day probation, your insurance may not kick in immediately uh, if somebody's just changed a job. Or here's a perfect example. I have a friend whose uh, husband works for Kaiser, but she works for Disneyland. So they actually are insured um, together on both plans, but whose ever birth date is the one that is the primary. It's not just she has hers, he has his. And then the secondary is the person whose birth date is second in the year based on month. I know that's old school, but this is what they have. And so you want to make sure you, you understand any changes or any impending changes, or if there was a change, not just in job, if anybody was laid off, um, or if somebody's changed insurances, sometimes the patients forget to tell you. A big one is, has the patient gone from straight Medicare to a Medicare Advantage plan? Have to know that. Number three, does the patient have multiple insurances? Do they have a primary, a secondary, a tertiary, which means they may have a retirement plan or a supplemental, maybe even a disability policy, something that can also help pay some extra towards their out-of-pocket and ensure that the patient has updated their coordination of benefits with each payer so the payer knows who's primary, secondary. Otherwise, you're going to end up with credit balances and you're not going to know who to pay them back to. Number four, okay, here's one. As a significant percentage of the population in the U.S. is aging, verify the Medicare coverage for patients who are above 65 years of age. And again, this goes back to, is the patient straight Medicare? Does the patient have Medicare Advantage? Is the patient still working? If the patient is still working, they may not be Medicare eligible yet. Or, here's another one, they may have an employer plan of self-insured and are choosing not to take Medicare coverage right now. So it does automatically kick in unless a patient says, I don't need it right now because I have an employer um, insurance. So there's something that you want to always keep that in mind because unfortunately, I'm hearing now with the way the stock market is, is tanking lately, a lot of people are staying at work. They're not retiring when they hope to in the last couple of years. So this is going to be a really big deal. Number one, two, three, four, five. Understand if you need prior authorization or a referral for the specific medical service. If referrals or authorizations are needed, you need to obtain the same obtain the same um, and update the revenue cycle system. So you need to make sure that not only are you uh, updating your policies, but that your staff is aware. And make sure that when you get this information from particular payers, that you are fulfilling a list, you're making a list, so that you're not always verifying the same thing over and over. Typically, they keep their policies for a while, and then somebody should be checking their website and their policies to see if anything's changed. Confirm if the patient's policy covers if you're providing a procedure. You know, sometimes they will cover a procedure, they won't cover a diagnostic or vice versa. Um, so, and especially for those of you using maybe um, robotic surgery, anybody using any of the new technology services, it may not be covered. If you're, I know right now there's a controversy on valve repairs, so that we call them TAVARs, and some payers still want or still have them under experimental or new technology. And some payers said, no, this has been approved since Medicare pays for them. So you have to know your policies on certain procedures and make sure that they are covered. 
Number seven, so some plans may stipulate the number of visits and time frame which medical services can be delivered and to have a ceiling on the benefit limits. So you must actually not only know this, but your front office or whoever is tracking your patient's um, frequency guidelines, they need to know that. And there should be somebody in charge of that. Otherwise, the patient's going to just keep coming in and nobody's going to say, wait, you only have, you know, three visits left, especially when it comes to, I know, chiropractic services. I mentioned physical therapy. There are frequency guidelines also on certain testing based on diagnosis. Um, So it's really important to understand when there's a ceiling on certain benefits. The next one is specific services such as behavioral and mental health, substance abuse, and addiction may require a call to the insurance company. You may not be aware of these requirements and must refer to payer-specific guidelines. So one thing I'm really happy about is that payers are starting to finally recognize not only the need for coverage, but the need for behavioral health services and mental health services, substance abuse, and addiction services that need to be covered by the insurance company. And they never did before. I remember there was, when we had ICD-9 diagnosis codes, anything that was in the 300 code series, we would really try to stay away from because we had such strict guidelines when it came to mental health services. But now that has changed and that has been opened up in a really positive and good way. But there are certain requirements for these services, especially since many of you have adopted some of the telehealth rules. And there are some guidelines, some frequency changes, some uh, in-person visits that are necessary before you can continue to uh, utilize the benefit for behavioral and mental health. Also in 2022, we had some new modifiers come up. You know, behavioral health audio only has an FQ. Behavioral health physician present has an FR. And that's F as in Frank. And so, yes, that's Medicare, but I have found three other payers that said, hey, this is great. We're going to use this as well. So make sure when you're verifying, again, benefits, you have to know those nuances as well. Otherwise, you could be submitting claims and not getting uh, reimbursement as you should. And then one of the last things, and this is number 10, patient responsibility for payments. So I mentioned the No Surprises Act. We have to make sure that anybody who either doesn't want to use their insurance, who is a self-pay patient, or who um, is uninsured, they have a good faith estimate of what you cost. Anybody who is insured, since we're talking about eligibility and insurance, You have to make sure that you do the best that you can to collect as much upfront of those deductibles, co-payments, and co-insurance based on that patient's policy details. So pursuing patient collections, I know it can be a pain. I know it's tedious, but if you can collect as much as you can upfront as stipulated, then you're going to be a rock star when it comes to making sure that you have what you need to keep your cash flow going. You know, there's a, there's a lot of issues right now with cash flow. And one of the things I'm going to put out there, and I think this is going to give me some controversy. You guys know me. I'm always up for the controversy. I always get comments every once in a while. They're like, oh, I don't know if I like that. I'm like, well, it's my podcast. So you know what? Don't listen if you don't like it. But hear me out when I say this. Before you outsource any of this information, any of this service to for, you know, eligibility and verification, try to keep it U.S. based. I'm noticing that outsourcing to, uh, you know, a foreign country like India or Afghanistan or Pakistan or anything like that, 
any clients of mine that have done that, they're having terrible time with HIPAA violations, with giving wrong information, with not being able to verify what that company has said. And I truly believe you should keep that in this country. So I'm going to say that until my dying day. I, I know that some people are saying, well, we outsource, we use it, we're fine, good for you. But I'm not finding that to be efficient. And so and remember, there is no um, US base uh, legalities there. And so you have to be very careful, we can't enforce anything. When you give patient information out, out of country, you are putting the patient at risk. I don't care what anybody says you are. So be very, very uh, cognitive of that, very careful about that. And if you are using a third party, whether it be in or out of country, just make sure you verified um, what they know, how they're looking to get your um, verification eligibility. And then you don't want to have to double check because then that kind of defeats the purpose. Because there are third party companies that are willing to take this on um, and make sure that, you know, they, they've done the, the legwork for you. We didn't have that before, but be careful when you find those companies and just make sure that they're, you know, credible, they're not calling the patients and, and things like that, because that can be definitely a problem. And I know patients aren't happy with that. So I have an interesting coding question today, and this is on the prolonged service code 99358. So this code says prolong evaluation and management service before and or after direct patient care first hour. So check with your payers first to see if this is covered. Medicare does pay for it. Some other payers do pay for it, but it's really important that you know for sure. So what this is, and somebody said, can I bill for this for a situation where my physician received records that were requested from a new patient that did not bring them with them or have them sent before and now spent 35 minutes reviewing these outside records? It's independent, patient wasn't there, can we bill it? Well, the answer is yes. Now, if you bill for something that isn't covered by the patient, they need to know that you're gonna bill for it. So you have to let them know, that's one of those good faith estimates. If you are trying to bill their insurance, make sure the insurance says it's covered. But code 99358 and 99359, these are used to report the total duration of non-face-to-face time spent by, a phys- spent by a physician or other qualified healthcare professional on a given date providing prolonged service even if the time spent by these professionals is not continuous. So what this is, is this is 30 or more minutes spent basically going over records, going over information, um, you know, reviewing things for the patient that they didn't get to during their face-to-face encounter. And now here's the kicker on these codes, and this is really important. These codes you can only use if the, this extensive record review has to relate to a previous E&M service before, performed on an earlier date, or it has to relate to a service where the patient care has occurred or will occur and relate to ongoing management. So you have to show that you're doing this because you're keeping the patient from, let's say, a new patient visit or another established visit, 
And it was something you sat down, the providers sat down to uh, review, and then they will be using that in their management of the patient. So I recently had this come up in one of my clients, and they showed me their one-page encounter documentation. And all it said is that they spent 31 minutes reviewing information for the patient that they brought in these records, and they were sent to them from an outside source. It even said that they talked to one of the providers at this university-based hospital. I said, that's not enough. I want to see details. The time was there, but I want to see details as far as how that is going to be incorporated into that patient's management. What did you learn from those records that now you have to use that information for that patient management? What was it? And so if you don't have that detail, don't bill for it because it reimburses anywhere from 50 to I think $100 depending on your payer, but you can bill for it. So just uh, look at that code again, 99358, and make sure that if you are reporting it, you know what the patient's out of pocket is because I'm sure they will have one. The coding question today was brought to you by Nature's Bounty. D3 supports strong bones, immune health, immune health supplement. That is vitamin D3, again, Nature's Bounty. Okay, so my personal tidbit today, you guys are gonna love this one. So my daughter's on her honeymoon. They decided to wait because she got married in March to when they got out of, when she got out of school because she's a, a, a middle school teacher. And so this was great. She's got, she's only got a few weeks off because she was promoted. So she's got to do some training in the summer. So her and her husband went to Hawaii. Yes, mom paid for the Hawaii trip. And I was even very generous, got them first class tickets, the whole bit. Well, she was supposed to be at a Hilton out there in Waikiki. I thought, you know what? It's a younger crowd. I got them a corner room with windows all the way around and everything was walkable, right? Oh my gosh, my bougie daughter. And yes, she gets it from me. So I get a call the very day she's there. This isn't what I expected. And she's like whining. She's like, the the, the sand is too rocky and it's not quiet. And there's, there's 80% kids here and... Okay, so what do you think I did? Yes, I did it, and I got some crap from my friends. I actually rerouted her to Four Seasons, where my husband and I stay once a year when I go out there to speak for APC, and then if I'm not speaking because COVID, they've had to have me do things virtually last couple years. We end up going anyway, usually October, and that's where she's at. So my budget for her honeymoon tripled. Yeah, I know. Trust me, you're all going, are you serious right now, Terry? I know, I know. So you guys need to start buying my books and start signing up for webinars because I got a honeymoon to pay for. I'm kidding. But still, it's just, yeah, so she's having the best time ever at the Koalina on Oahu uh, Four Seasons. So anyway, shout out to my daughter who basically I'm like, okay, your drinks just went from $13 each to 14 to like 30. So let, guess what? Your alcohol intake is going to be very low. And so I said, otherwise you're paying for it. But anyway, just things that moms do, especially when they have one daughter. But um, I just find it kind of amusing that she's like, but I want the vacation you and I had a couple years ago. I'm like, I'm sure you do. Never start your kids in the top tier because it's really hard for them to go back down. Always keep them as low as you can and then surprise them with something great. Otherwise, they're like, oh, no, I want the great all the time. Just a little advice from a mom of adult of an adult daughter. Anyway, everyone make it a great rest of your day, great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net.
podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>